and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy December. Time has really flown by this year. Our staff is still working remotely so we can all be safe, but after nine months of working from home, some of us pet owners on staff have been chatting about the challenges of working from home with our animals. And it brought up the discussion of the challenges of quilting in a home that has pets. There are some special considerations to make, so today we're going to take a little time to chat about those. We also talk with the amazing Andrew Walker, a prolific sewer known for making anything from bags to garments to quilts, and you'll love hearing the advice she has to offer. So let's dive in. According to a 2020 study done by the American Pet Products Association, 67% of U.S. households or about 85 million families own a pet. That is a lot of pets. So the odds are that many quilters listening right now are sewing in a space that has an animal. Owning a pet is so rewarding, but we know that our pets can also present some problems in our quilting lives. So I'm here with Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine, to discuss some tips for sewing with pets. So I love this topic so much. I think everyone in the office knows how much I love my 15-year-old Cocker Spaniel Penny. I actually got back into crafting after college because I wanted to knit her a dog sweater, so she's very much a part of my creative process. It's pretty rare that I'm sewing, and she isn't sitting at my feet. She even learned that if she really wants attention, she should hit the presser foot of my sewing machine with her paw. Uh, that was when I learned how to start, how to use the start and stop button on my sewing machine. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> she's a little too smart sometimes. She can sew. She's a sewer. <laughs> I wonder if I could train her to. Anyway, as much as we love our pets, it can be a real struggle trying to sew with them around, especially if they feel our project is stealing attention that rightfully belongs to them. I don't know a ton about cats, but dogs for sure can be pretty needy. Well, luckily, I'm bringing the cat perspective to this conversation, so I am the happy mom to our 12-year-old cat, Harvey, uh, who is in constant trouble in my sewing room, um, but also one of the biggest fans of all of my quilts. (laughs) So (laughs) if, like me, you're never alone when you sew, here are some suggestions to deal with common struggles when sewing with pets. So we broke them down into a few main categories keeping hair off your fabric, keeping your pets distracted so that you can work, and making sure that your sewing space and supplies are safe for your pets. First, let's take a look at keeping your fabric clean. Some pets find fabric really fascinating. With a dog, I can pretty easily store my fabric in plastic tubs or higher up on a shelf. Lindsay, I imagine this might be more of an issue with cats. 
Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> My <laughs> cat is a little older now, so he's not much of a climber anymore. But if you have younger cats, they can easily jump onto shelves, inside cabinets, or even explore closets. So like Joanna said, if you have curious pets or are running into trouble with your pets, maybe laying on your fabric or pulling fabric off your shelves or even having accidents by your fabric if they're they're still being mm. potty trained, um, you should consider storing your fabrics in higher areas of your room or in enclosed containers. And you can even just keep your sewing room door closed. <laughs> that's, that's an easy <laughs> solution. Yes. Uh, I have my fabric stored on open shelves in my room. And I would say probably once a week, my cat will be naughty and pull fabric off the shelf. But I always turn it into a positive and I I just use that chance to refold or sort through the fabric or even see what I have. Sometimes it like jogs a memory of like, oh, I remember this fabric I have now. Um, So it doesn't bother me that he does that. So it's all personal preference, I think. I, I love that perspective. The it's it's not an inconvenience; it's an opportunity. I just I think that's great. Another thing to consider is allergies, especially if you make items or you know sell your projects, or even if you just sell excess fabric from your stash. I have a few friends who are allergic to cats and dogs. Some of them deathly allergic. So if I'm making projects for them. Uh, it requires me to buy new fabric because I know that it's clean and it's from the store and has like no pet dander and things on it. Um, so pulling from my stash is kind of off limits. Um, if it's a mild allergy, sometimes I can pre-wash my fabric and that'll be fine, but I just like to be safe. Uh, also, you might want to invest in some good lint rollers. Depending on your pet's level of shedding, Either buy extra strength ones or buy them in bulk because you're going to need them one way or the other. (laughs) So true. We use lint rollers or even like garment brushes quite often to remove hair from our quilts so that we're not constantly having to wash them. Um, And then when the weather is warmer, we'll take quilts outside to shake them out every few weeks. Uh, Joanna, this also might be a great time to mention the kind of infamous debate on whether you let your dog lie on your quilts. We know that quilters have very strong opinions on whether or not their quilts are fair game for animals. Uh, I I don't have any qualms about my cat curling up with my quilts. Um, I would never have a quilt in my home that the whole family couldn't enjoy. Uh, but there were a few incidents where Harvey got sick on a quilt or got mud on a quilt. He likes to be outside, so sometimes he tracks <laughs> things in I can't catch. Um, and it all washed out so good, but... It was a little disappointing and a little extra work. What do you think about it, Joanna? Well, I'm glad it washed out, first of all. (laughs) It's scary. Um, I think a lot depends on the individual pet and whether you think they can handle being on a quilt without destroying all of your hard work. I'm not against the idea per se, but Penny has this really bad habit of digging at quilts to try to make a nest. So I often have to take quilts away from her. If they're on the bed, they're fine. But as soon as they're like on the couch, she immediately has to tear them down. Um, so I always worry she's going to stress the seams because it's not you know, good for them to be kicked around and dug into. I usually get to enjoy the quilts while she gets a decoy store-bought blanket that she can like attack to her heart's content. And she's happy. She has no idea she's not getting the nice quilts. Yeah, that's a good point. I think dogs have larger paws and nails than cats do, so they can probably cause a little more damage. (laughs) 
Um, okay, so let's switch gears now and talk about how to have a productive time sewing while your animals are around. So Joanna, you have a specific problem with your dog Penny that I think some of our listeners can relate to. I sure do. And that problem is keeping Penny off of my projects as I sew. (laughs) I have what's often referred to as a Velcro dog, which means she wants to stick next to me at all times. Basting quilts is her favorite part of the process because it takes place on the floor. So she can test out the quilt sandwiches I'm pinning together and I have to keep shooing her off so that I can work. I'm sure a lot of quilters can relate to this. I know I see a lot of photos on Instagram of, you know, pets helping with pasting. So. <laughs> helping in quotation um, marks. <laughs> exactly. There are best little helpers. So our friends at Purina recently had a seminar on pets and working from home that I attended. And as I was listening, I kept thinking that some of their tips from their animal behavioralists actually could be applied to my basting problem. So most of the tips involve things like distracting your pet so that um, the project itself that you're actually trying to focus on wouldn't be so fascinating. So for example, you can train your pets to look for hidden treats around the room to keep them occupied somewhere else. It can take a few times to get them used to the routine, but as soon as they've got the idea down that they're going to be playing this fun hunting game for these treats, they'll go do that and you can go baste your quilt. You can try giving your pets mentally stimulating toys, like treat puzzles for dogs or hiding toys in egg cartons for cats. You can also set up a faux sewing spot that they can claim for themselves. In the seminar, they had a fake keyboard that a cat was sitting on, um, but I've set up something similar with pretend quilt tops or piles of distraction fabric. It works about 75% of the time, but as I mentioned before, Penny's pretty smart, so sometimes she figures out that Oh, she's actually not paying attention to this fabric. Another thing you can do is go for a walk or play with your pet for about 30 minutes before you start sewing so that they've gotten all their energy out beforehand and they're ready to nap or have some quiet time while you're ready to sew. Not unlike small kids, you can distract your pets with television or YouTube. This one surprised me, but it probably shouldn't have because I used to distract Penny with TV shows with dogs in them, Um, even animated dogs like Lady and the Tramp used to distract her for, you know, hours. (laughs) And apparently some cats will actually watch fluttering wing videos on YouTube for hours, especially if they have a lot of black and white contrast. That one was a surprise to me. But um, yeah, I guess it ties into their hunting instinct. Hmm. And then since many pets, especially dogs, thrive on routine, try sewing at the same time every day And maybe even try making it at the same time that your pet likes to sleep because, again, they're going to be in their routine and you can go to your routine and they won't think to distract you. Like there'll be nothing out of the normal for that. And then finally, try rotating your toys so that an older toy seems new and exciting again. It might even be more exciting than that quilt top you want them to stay away from. Yeah, right now... Harvey is all about our Christmas ornaments, so that has been (laughs) quite the distraction for him. (laughs) Penny likes to rip off my tree skirt and make it into a bed. I don't know why. (laughs) I I come home and the tree skirt's off, and I put it back, and I leave, and I come home, and the tree skirt's off again. So that's... (laughs) At least she doesn't drink the tree water. I have a real tree, so that would be a problem. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Um. 
Of course, if you have a senior pet like Penny, you might not even need to do a whole lot to wear them out or distract them from your project. Most pets just like to be near you or to see you, so set up your sewing machine near their favorite sleeping spot and let them watch you work as they doze. This works especially well for Penny. A few scratches on the head here and there, and both of you can have some happy, peaceful sewing time. Honestly, as you get used to working with your little furry companion around, though, it might not even bother you that much when they, you know, sit on the quilt as you're basting it. After a while, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> well, thanks for those tips, Joanna and Purina. Um, I'll, I'll have to try some of those, I, especially like the, the TV one. Harvey has never been interested in TV, but I didn't realize the video needed to be black and white. So that could be something new to try. Uh, never so, know. I know you don't. Um, so I usually sew a little each morning, uh, but because Harvey has been neglected all night while we're sleeping, he's usually really excited to see me um, and spend time together. So if I sew right away without giving him some attention, he'll claw at the sewing room door or walk across the, you know, the cutting table or sewing table to get my attention. So um, it is a great idea to get into a routine with your pet and really capitalize on those times when they're they're napping, <laughs> uh, especially if, you, if they're having trouble letting you spend time on your hobby without them. Absolutely. So next we want to discuss how to protect your pets from the dangers found in your sewing room. Many quilting tools are sharp, small, or full of chemicals. So similar to how you may baby-proof a room in your home, it's important to do the same for your animals. Consider keeping your sharp objects like scissors, pins, seam rippers, and rotary cutters hidden away in drawers, or always close them with the cover or keep the cap on. And hide all your starches, sprays, glues, or marking tools that may have chemicals or would be harmful if ingested. It would be so sad for your animal to accidentally spill a bottle of something on themselves and hurt their eyes, ears, or paws. Remember that your pets don't know what in your room is dangerous. So do that work for them by hiding things that they shouldn't be getting into. Yeah, Harvey is curious, so he likes to smell things. So a lot of my starches have a smell to them, so he gets a little too curious with those, so I, I have to hide <laughs> those now. <laughs> you may also want to consider finding safe storage for your small supplies, like bobbins or um, you know basting clips or wonder clips. My cat thinks it's really fun to play with, you know, a loose bobbin rolling it across the floor, but these small objects can be choking hazards or look like mm -hmm. small treats to eat. Um, and similarly, make sure large, heavy objects are safe and not easily tipped over. If your animal decides to touch or climb on it, you definitely wouldn't want something to fall on them. And just a reminder, if you're cleaning your sewing room or washing quilts that your pets may use, Consider just using a natural or a non-scented cleaning products or washing, washing or laundry, <laughs> whatever. Oh my gosh, we've been using so many cleaning products lately, I can't even keep them straight. Um, laundry detergent. Uh, everyone in our household has allergies or sensitive skin, so I'm used to doing all of our wash and cleaning with natural products, but it's something to consider if your pet is coming into close contact with things in your sewing room or your favorite quilts. I know our cat has allergies, so he's sensitive and sneezes if I use scented things. So it's a good reminder. Good points. Um, 
And then I have one last thing to add. Some of this is because my dog is old and starting to go blind. Um, but this might be common sense, but make sure to unplug your iron or any other hanging cords when the object is not in use. All the dogs I've ever had are prone to getting stuck on hanging cords and then yanking the items down as they push forward trying to free themselves. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's just my dogs, but no. they're not always good at backing up. There's yeah. something about going backwards that they don't yeah, understand. Yeah, I think that so seems common. They go forward. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially now since Penny can't necessarily see that the cord is in her way until she's stuck in it. Um, it's just a good idea. It doesn't hurt to unplug it. You even save a little energy, so that's good. Um, but yeah, pets are curious creatures, and they'll get into things that you didn't expect. So whenever you can, it's just better to be safe than sorry. Thank you so much, Joanna. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, Joanna is chatting with Andrea Walker. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic back over to Joanna for her interview with Andra Walker. Andra is a regular contributor to our magazines and has a wealth of information to share with everyone today. And just a little warning, Joanna and Andra recorded this during a freak snowstorm we had in the Midwest, so the audio is a little shaky at points. We apologize, but we think you can really still hear most of it and understand what Andra and Joanna were talking about. Take it away, Joanna. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Andra Walker, an avid quilter and pattern designer. She's active on Instagram under the name at Andra Makes, and she's a frequent contributor of Patterns for Quilts and More. So, Andra, I'm so excited to get to talk with you today. Why don't we start off by sharing a little bit about your sewing background? Tell us about your life as a quilter, including how you got started sewing and what products, projects do you love to make? Hey, Joanna. I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Quilts and More is my favorite magazine and has been since I learned to sew a few years ago. I love the more part that it isn't just quilts. So I am super excited to be chatting with you today. And I'm also a huge fan of the podcast. A little bit about my sewing background. I did not grow up surrounded by sewists. Both my grandmother sewed, but I have no memory of ever seeing them sew. I now have a few aprons and a bonnet and a quilt my maternal grandmother made. And I also have her treadle sewing machine and her sewing basket. And I cherish those things even more now that I've learned to sew but I never had any interest in sewing at all until about eight years ago. So to say that I was a beginner when I started is an understatement. I was as beginner as anyone could get. I had never even touched a home sewing machine. I didn't know that cutting mats or rotary cutters or quilting rulers or any of that even existed. And I had in my head that Everything was cut out freehand using a pair of scissors. So about eight years ago, I was new to Pinterest, and I kept seeing sewing projects show up in my feed. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness, it would be super fun to learn to sew and be able to make gifts. And my husband and son had taken Taekwondo classes. 
And I knew one of the moms there sewed because she was the one who sewed everyone's patches on their uniforms. So I contacted her and asked if I want to learn to sew, A, do I need to be good at math, which I'm not, or B, do I need to be able to cut straight? Keeping in mind, I thought everything was cut freehand with scissors. And her response was, nah. <laughs> and I am that was her response. I have thought a lot about that over the years and wondered if she had said, yes, you need to be good at math. And yes, you need to be able to cut straight if I would have even pursued it at all. So she agreed to help me get started with the basics and box store and bought a machine. I didn't want to invest a lot of money up front because I didn't know if it was something I would be interested and enjoy doing. And I took my machine to her house and she showed me how to thread the machine and how to wind and load the bobbin. And she gave me some tips on what type needles and thread to buy. And then off I went. So Jean, if you're listening, I owe you for that. And then I joined a Learn to Sew group on Facebook that was organized and of crazy little pro to Amber. And then for three years, I sewed home deck, bags, pouches, garments, pretty much anything and everything except quilts. <laughs> I was never interested in quilting. It just wasn't in my wheelhouse. It didn't appeal to me at all at the time. I wasn't interested in the quote unquote precision or in having to cut out all those pieces. Then one day, a friend of mine posted a picture of a baby quilt she received when her son was born. And when I saw that picture, I was like, okay, that's it. I love this. I want to do this. So my first quilt was from a tutorial by Professor Pincushion, and it was, I believe, made with either nine-inch squares, nine-and-a-half-inch squares, something like that. And then Vanessa Wilson, the Crafty Gemini, started an online quilt club. And I had been following Vanessa on YouTube, absolutely loved her, loved her teaching style. So I joined her online quilt club. And she taught us everything there is to know about quilting, cutting fabric, piecing, sewing blocks, sewing rows, making the quilt sandwich, free motion quilting, binding, everything. And she also taught us different techniques like foundation paper piecing and big stitch quilting, hand tying quilts, so many things. And I owe a lot of my quilting journey to her. So Shout out to my girl, Vanessa, and to all the friends I've made literally around the world because of that quilt club. So that's pretty much my journey, and I've been sewing and quilting ever since. That's amazing. I love that you have so much community and that you're so thankful for all the people who helped get you to where you are today. Now, when I first approached you for the interview, you mentioned that you're not a quote-unquote professional sewer because you don't have a business. I love all your patterns, though, and your first pattern, quote some more, a laptop bag called Work It, was so wonderful. I made one for myself. 
How did you start writing patterns and what inspired you to share them with the community at large? Thanks, Joanna. That means a lot to me coming from you. I know you see hundreds of patterns come across your desk every year that are submitted to the magazine. So not only did you like it, but you made one. I am honored. But I have the fun story about how that pattern came about. My son's girlfriend at the time, they're married now, started college and got a new laptop. And she asked me if I would make a bag for it. So I got a piece of scrap paper and a pen from my junk drawer in the kitchen. Okay, no fancy design software here. It was a pen and a scrap piece of paper. And I drew the roughest sketch you could imagine. I asked her if she wanted it to have pockets. She said no. I asked her if she wanted it to be crossbody, and she said no. And I said, how about these type handles? And she said, yeah, that'd be great. So I made the laptop bag using that rough sketch. And monograms are a requirement here in the South. So, of course, I monogrammed it for her. And I just had so much bag. It was relatively quick and easy. It was very simple, straightforward. Plus, it was adorable and functional. And I just remember thinking, if I had such a fun time making that bag, I think, oh, so on a whim, I submitted it to Quilts and More, and it ultimately ended up getting published. I don't have a business. I don't have a website or a pattern company or a fabric line. I don't have a bazillion Instagram followers. I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a gal in Tennessee with a sewing machine who loves to sew, and I'm just a regular person. And I think the majority of the listeners can relate to that and relate to me. And I'm so happy to help represent that demographic today on the podcast. I love that. So what advice would you give to quilters who are considering submitting their patterns for publication, but again, maybe don't have a business? Three words. Go for it. (laughs) Seriously. What is the worst that could happen? You'll get a very nice email from someone letting you know if it was accepted or not. And if it wasn't, that doesn't mean it wasn't a successful design. There are a lot of factors, as you know. It could be that something similar was recently published or the timing isn't the best. Who knows? I've submitted patterns that weren't accepted and I've submitted patterns that were. So seriously, just go for it. Everything in life is a learning process and you really don't have anything to lose when you submit a project. That's so true. I always tell people, you don't know the reason why I couldn't take it. So um, keep trying. And the worst that happens is you know that you did your best and it didn't work out. But you don't know if you don't try. That's right. So since you make so many bags, and that's what most of our readers probably know you for, How did you get started making bags and what tips would you have for quilters who might be scared to start making them? Bags are one of my favorite things to make. I made those before I ever made quilts and I would just look on YouTube. And if I saw a bag pattern that I liked, I would just make it. And that's how I got started making bags. And the tips I would give are Start with something simple and maybe small-ish, like a tote bag, and find a YouTube tutorial for it. YouTube is an amazing 
resource for makers. And then from there, I would just keep adding and building on my skills, like maybe the next one at a pocket, maybe the next one box the corners, maybe then add a zippered pocket, a zippered closure, just keep learning and building and growing as you go. And my favorite bag to make is anything that's practical and useful. As we all know, sewing is not an inexpensive hobby. Not only are the supplies expensive, but our time is extremely valuable. So if I'm going to spend my time and resources on something, I want it to be something I'm actually going to use. That is so true. And I'm actually really excited because I get to introduce our readers to your upcoming project in Colts and More Spring, which is called Plentiful Pockets. And it's a craft tote bag, which can hold all of your supplies in interior and exterior pockets. And, you know, you can never have enough pockets. So finally, I know a lot of people are looking forward to the holidays this season. Do you tend to do any seasonal holiday sewing, whether it be gifts or decor? And are you planning any special projects for this year, either for yourself or for others? Since I learned to sew eight years ago, I have made handmade gifts every year. It's the reason I wanted to learn to sew in the first place. And not only for Christmas, but also for birthdays and weddings and baby showers, all the occasions, even for a just because gift. And my favorite gifts to make are you guessed it, practical and useful things, things the recipient will actually use. I love to make toiletry bags, makeup bags, bowl cozies, notebook covers with an attached <laughs> pen holder, and, and zippered pouches are always a go-to. They can be made in so many different sizes for different needs, and they're just so versatile. But... I do have a gift I'm super excited about giving for Christmas this year. A few months ago, my husband's sister gave me a bag full of vintage fabric that belonged to their grandmother. And included in that bag was an amazing piece of boucle fabric in this gorgeous textured mint green and white combination. And when she gave me the bag of fabric, she told me that she loved that boucle fabric and wished there was enough of it for her to be able to make a skirt. So I made her a bag out of that fabric. I went to a thrift store and bought a bag with a style of faux leather handles I wanted to use. And I removed the handles from the thrift store bag and added them to the bag that I made for my sister-in-law. And it turned out super great and I'm so excited to give it to her and I will post a picture of it on my sewing Instagram account after I give it to her if you'd like to see it. As far as choosing fabric for gifts, I always have the recipient's likes and tastes in mind. For example, my sister loves purple and she loves batiks. So one or both of those when I make her something and my mom's favorite color is yellow, so I tried to have some yellow in the things I make for her. I just have the recipient in mind when I'm choosing fabrics for something for them. That's great advice, especially as people make gifts for the holidays. So we're going to wrap up with just a few rapid-fire questions for you. Things our listeners are dying to know. Number one, what do you listen to while you're quilting? 
podcast while I'm sewing, and 70s and 80s music while I'm long arming. The best decades of music, in my opinion. (laughs) I love that. Number two, what's a sewing mistake you made that you learned a lot from? I have made all the sewing mistakes and still do. There are no mistakes in sewing. They're design choices. Wink, wink. I can't tell you how many zippered pouches I've made over the years. And I still sometimes forget to open the zipper halfway before sewing around the perimeter of the pouch. Oh, no. (laughs) Interesting when you try to turn the project right side out. You can't because the zipper's closed. But we're human and it happens and we need to be less hard on ourselves and just enjoy the process, design choices and all. Sewing is our hobby and hobbies are supposed to be fun. I love that philosophy. That's actually mine too. And I said, oh no, because I've totally done that with the zipper pouches. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. Number three, what's your go-to color palette? If I'm making something for myself, I like fun, bright colors. I like most motifs. I love florals, geometrics, novelty. I also love unexpected color combinations. But if I'm making something for someone else as a gift, I keep their likes and tastes in mind. And my most favorite part of the making process is choosing fabric. I absolutely love it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I'm sure our listeners got some great insights into your design process and just a lot of encouragement to achieve their own quilty dreams. So thank you so much for this chat. Joanna, I cannot thank you enough for inviting me to be on the podcast. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just love Joanna's talk with Andra. Andra is truly one of the nicest and most supportive people in the sewing industry. We're so lucky to work with her. And if you have the opportunity to connect with her on Instagram, do it. Her posts and comments always brighten my day and inspire me. Of course, we'll link to the resources mentioned in today's interview, as well as how to find Andra on social media so that you can keep in touch with her. Before we leave today, I want to share about a once a year sale we're having on our magazine archive. The sale ends tomorrow, December 8th, so you really have to act fast if you're interested. Our magazine archive is the complete history of American patchwork and quilting and quilts and more magazines on a USB drive, like it's a software program. And the archive goes through the magazines from the beginning of when they were being published to 2019, which is more than 2,200 patterns. The software is searchable. It feels like you're flipping through the magazines with really high quality photos and it's printable so when you find a pattern you love you can print it out and bring it to your sewing room. Usually the archive is $149 which is still pretty cheap for that many patterns but until midnight on December 8th it's only $99. So to see more about the archive including using screenshots of what the software looks like you can visit apqshop.com and search for archive. I use the archive at least once a week in my own home and absolutely love it. 
So if you're interested, just make sure to act fast to take advantage of this awesome deal. Have a great week, everyone. all and thanks for listening keep in touch american patchwork and quilting is on facebook pinterest and instagram at all people quilt email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast and if you love the american patchwork and quilting podcast please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free and don't forget to rate and review the show it helps other quilters find us Have a creative week.